The Sunday Baroque podcast is made possible by WSHU and the Friends of Sunday Baroque. You can find out more about the Friends of Sunday Baroque and find out how to become one yourself by visiting our website, sundaybaroque.org, under the Contact tab. Sebastian Zubieta is the Director of Music for the Americas Society. Welcome. Thank you. Good so, to be here. Uh, first of all, I think I would just like you to explain what is the Americas Society. It's um, an organization founded 40 years ago with the intention of fostering inter-American dialogue. And we have uh, two sides. We have a culture side and a policy, public policy side. And in the culture side, what we do is bring awareness of the immense variety and richness of the arts in Latin America, the Caribbean, and Canada to the U.S. So it's promoting the, those cultures in, in the U.S. I guess when they founded, they didn't think that they needed to promote uh, U.S. culture in the U.S. So, you know, it's our, it's our, our focus is the whole hemisphere in, in bringing uh, everything that, that happens in, in, in the Americas to, to the U.S., in New York specifically, which is where we're based, and that's where most of our things happen, especially mm-hmm. the cultures things happen in New York. Mm-hmm. So you're the director of music, and who would your counterparts be? We have three culture divisions, music, literature, and visual arts. And we do a, you know, different activities. The m- music department has a concert series and an educational arm in which we work with uh, public schools in New York City and also through partnerships with other schools, also basically in, in, in New York metropolitan area. The literature division has, uh, the literature department has publishes a magazine, which has also been going on for 40 years and that has fiction and nonfiction essays and poetry and all those things in translation and a series of public events in which some of those authors come to our venue and talk about their work and uh, do bilingual events and scholar, more scholarly events sometimes. And the visual arts department has uh, a, an art gallery in the ground floor of our, ve- of our venue. And they also publish catalogs and produce public programs about the exhibitions. Mm-hmm. So the wealth of of Latin American music is just immense, and I would imagine that you have a pretty huge task to try to, you know, to really cover that. Right. Yeah. One of the things is keeping track of it. Yeah. That, that's a lot. Of, you know, the first thing every every morning I go and uh, I start my computer and I log on to a couple of newspapers from the region to see what's happening. And you know, I subscribe to every list that I can think of, uh, email list and. Uh, Catalogs, you know, I get as much information as I can, mm-hmm. and yeah, staying on top of it is is, is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, because you know, there's so many people doing so many different things, and even if it's, of course, it's much more than what I could present as a presenter. We do 15 concerts a year, about 10, 15, depending on the on the year. So you can imagine that there's much more that I cannot cover, but I I want to know. Mm-hmm. I, I have to know right. what's happening. And it's got to be really just the tip of the iceberg, too, simply because, you know, you are not the director of the classical music tradition right. or the serious music or whatever. I mean, it's music. Period. Yeah, it's music, period. Yeah, everything. So we're talking all genres. We're talking all eras. Mm-hmm. Um, give me an idea of who who are some of the people, either performers or, or composers, from, you know, from today and, and kind of going back through time. So we've had, um, yeah, as you say, we, we cover all genres and styles. So, for example, right now our, our, um, our season is dedicated to Argentina. So, for example, I think the fall of this year will give you a, 
uh, an idea of what we do. So we had one tango concert. Uh, you know, tango is everywhere now, so we had to have one. And um, But it was, you know, it's a particular kind of tango. One of the things, uh, what I liked about them is that they combine tango with, with jazz in a very interesting way. It's called the Tango Reflections Trio. Then after that, we had Chango Spasiuk, who's a, an amazing folk musician from the northeast of Argentina. Um, he won the BBC Award uh, a couple of years ago, and so, you know, he's, he was uh, having a tour. Um, we have a new music concert in December, so we're premiering, uh, we'll have, I think, the U.S. premiere of a piece by Mauricio Cago, and it's all Argentinian music for two pianos and piano for hands. And we have an evening with singers from the Opera Institute in Buenos Aires, the Teatro Colón, it's a big opera theater, and they have a, a school. So, and they will be singing mainly Rossini and Mozart. So it's, and then we've had, so we had a bit of that. Then in the past, we've had uh, Hamilton de Holanda, who's a brilliant um, um, Brazilian bandolinist, you know, played a little guitar. He just got nominated for a Grammy after that. We had Antonio Meneses before playing the cello. He played the Bach uh, solo suites. That was a couple of years ago. Um, what else? We had Paquito de Rivera, of course, playing. That was one of the first concerts I, I, I organized. And the Assad brothers, you know, the duo guitarists. Uh, we had another guitar duo from Brazil. You know, so it's, it's uh, everywhere from old. And then we've had music from, you know, from folk music from the from Guyana, which we had a year ago, it's a totally repertoire that was very surprising to hear. It's very it's Indian music from India, the Indian community in Guyana, and we had old music, um, early music from Guatemala in the 16th century, in the 17th century, Mexican music in the 18th century. So it's everywhere. <laughs> so tell me about the 16th century Guatemalan music. Well, what we had that that was the whole concert dedicated to to this music, um, in particular music by Hernando Franco, it's a great composer who he came from Spain. He ended up so what happened with you know Guatemala was the, was a very important city in the three incarnations that it had. You know they moved it twice because it, it flooded and then it was an earthquake or whatever. So they moved it several times, but it was it was the, the center of of the southern part of Central America, and also as it's uh, you know if you, if you look at the careers of the guys who came there, it was kind of the gateway to go into Mexico, which was where the real money was. <laughs> it's it's amazing. So you see both Franco and and uh, Bermudez, uh, another you know Spanish composers, they would start their work in uh, you know go to school in Spain, and then they would come to come to America in some some way or another. Some of them would go to to the Caribbean, uh, stay in, in Cuba or Santo Domingo for a few years, and then go to Guatemala. But then a, a bunch of them, two or three of them, at least, then their next assignment was Mexico City, which, of course, was the mecca for any for any church composer at the time. Franco ended up in, in Mexico City, uh, or Puebla. It was uh, the second choice. Puebla de Los Angeles um, was also. So Guatemala was a very important center, and there's a lot of music that is only there's only there. The composers that um, were were Spanish, but they they wrote they wrote uh, a huge repertoire while while they were there, and um, you know some of them stayed there and some of them went went further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned um, you know Mexico City and you know, a lot of these these composers were they were church musicians, so there was exactly. you know organ music, a lot of the things that yes. would be familiar the the sort of vocabulary in some sense and the the um, instruments yeah. of some of these um, instruments. But so how is it different? How how would it differ? How would you tell uh, the difference between some of these um, Spanish-born, Guatemalan-trained right. uh, musicians from, say, Bach or Handel. Yeah, sometimes you can, and sometimes it's sometimes it's harder. Um, 
So the, the first generation were, you know, very much, uh, well, you, you could tell, as you can tell, Spanish composers like Victoria from, from contemporary French or Italian composers, you know, they had their, their style. So most of them were Spanish, and they were very much like, like, like Victoria in that kind of austere uh, style more than perhaps the, the more uh, singy style that, that you can find in, in Italy. And um, so sometimes you couldn't, but then the, when they came here and then, but then they started training other composers. So there are locally born composers uh, that, that were once again, you know, the differences are subtle, I think. Sometimes mm -hmm. one thing that you can always tell is sometimes they would write music in the local languages. Uh, in Nahuatl, which was the language of the Aztecs. And in the case, you know, in, in Peru, they would write songs in Quechua from very early on. So sometimes uh, you can tell you can tell that by, by the texts. And um, and sometimes it, it sounds very much in that in that tradition in mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, they were it was the West. You know, they were they were uh, they were in, 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 a, in, a, in a Spanish uh, provincial capital anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. Okay. So. If someone were listening for or wanted to go seek out some um, Latin American Baroque music mm -hmm. specifically, or early music, um, who who are some of the names? What are some of the composers that they that are sort of more prominent and who were more exciting? And right. Well, I think we should can go back a moment to you know. There's, um, I, I the way I see it, there's at least three repertoires of of early Latin American music. One is the, the repertoire that's associated with, uh, with, um, with cathedrals, you know, the big cities, Mexico, Lima, Cusco, Sucre, Bogota, all those big, big, uh, you know, they had, they had their the choirs and all of them had their uh, masters of music. The, I was just reading there was something about uh, in, a, in a discussion list, the, um, the choir of the Mexico City Cathedral is 477 years old. So it's, it's, you know, it's been going on, never stopped. So there's that repertoire on one, on one end. Then there's a mission repertoire that flourished mostly within Jesuit missions everywhere, but especially in, in Bolivia, in Argentina, in Paraguay, in Brazil, and also in, in North in Canada. They had some and in Mexico. So that was a different, uh, which was intended to be performed not by professional musicians, but by the members of the community, which were musicians as well, but they're not, they were not uh, salaried musicians, as you would, you know, every, every cathedral would have its choir and its orchestra, depending on the size and, and the budget. So those are two different repertoires. And then there's a, a, a big repertoire. Well, I wouldn't say big, it's less, you know, it's, uh, there, there are less examples of that, but of secular music. Mm. Dances and songs, uh, as is the case, as you know, with uh, having faced any any, any early music um, collection, there's more in the sacred side because the church invested money and time in, in recording all those things in, in scores and the books and manuscripts. But there's some music that was um, that was secular in, in purpose in, in the early times in the Baroque. So mm. there's a few collections here and there that mm. have so. That's one thing. Then, in terms of names, one there. Let me see. Well, Ignacio Jerusalem is a big name. He was a master, the choir master of Mexico City, from 1750 until the, the second half of the 18th century. There was um, uh, what's his name? Sumaya Joaquin. Oh, I don't remember his name. Manuel, Suma, Manuel de Sumaya. There you go. Yeah. Mexico as well. I think he he has a very very dark style which I really love. His mm -hmm. music is great. Then uh, Hernando Franco. Also beautiful in early, he came to Guatemala in 1580 or so, so very, very shortly after the after the, the conquest. So, and he writes in a, a very intricate polyphonic 
uh, style. Usually, most of the time, there's some. Um, there's one in particular, one one song that is very, very choral. You know, there's not much his his output, or at least what we have, is is not a huge a huge amount of music. But um, he wrote in this very polyphonic style most of the time, so he was great. Fernando Franco, um, Sumacho. Then, then in Brazil, which was a different a different world altogether, but still very similar. You know, being also the the center in Brazil. When there were several centers, but there was one particular that generated a lot of music, which is the Minas Gerais, which is a state in the kind of the center of the country, uh, away from the coast. There's a number of cities now that are like uh, you know UNESCO, Patrimony of the Humanity, the church, beautiful churches. And um, there were some composers there. Some and there's some anonymous music, but there's um, Lobo, Lobo de Mesquita. Yeah, Lobo de Mesquita was okay. a composer um, okay. that uh, that time. Then we we're pushing out of the Baroque in the early 19th century. A great composer was uh, Jose Mauricio Nunes Garcia, who was a musician in Rio. And for, you know, due to one of those uh, political things, he ended up being the the choir master of the of the Portuguese king because, they, you know, they had to leave Portugal when Napoleon came in 1812, so they had to go somewhere and they went to Brazil, which was a good idea. I would have done that too. So, he, find, you know, he was a prominent musician in Rio and he found himself being the, the choir master of one of the you know, European king. It was fascinating. And he wrote beautiful music. He wrote a record mass and a lot of acapella music, some piano music. There's less uh, instrumental music than, than vocal music in, in, in all the forms. I have to tell you, I... Um I asked some classically trained musicians recently um, about, well, I explained I was going to be chatting with you, and I, I told them that we were going to be talking about Latin American, you know, classical music or music from the classical tradition. And they were, and these are people with, you know, master's degrees mm. in music and very active performers, and they were a little um, uh, uninformed, I guess is the best way to say it. They were, not, they were not terribly familiar with some of the names. They were not familiar with the music. They were a little uncertain. Why, why do you suppose that is? Not, they were not uh, lacking in curiosity about it, right, but they'd right, never right. really received that kind of training. They'd never really become familiar with these names or with the music. So what, what, what happened? Why is that? Well, first of all, it's hard to, the music is very hard to come by. You don't, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy to find. There's, if you look, uh, for example, Franco has, Hernando Franco has one piece that, um, that has been recorded several times, the Salve Regina, beautiful piece. But if you look at the, the publisher is Harmonia Mundi. I think it's a publisher out of the New Hebrides in, New, you know, in, in Scotland in the north. So for, but that's just one case. If you look at their catalog, they have one piece by him, and that's it. You know, all the rest is Lassus and the, 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 the Renaissance canon, let's call it. So it's very inaccessible. So the music wasn't, wasn't preserved. There's, there has been no preservation on the archives. Everything that was found was kind of fortuitously found because it was going to go to waste. And, you know, the, 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 those... Most everywhere in Latin America, the 19th century was a, a period of a lot of turmoil and civil wars and fires. It, it was, and then the 20th century, you know, it, it was never a, a quiet. It was the, the, let's say that the the environment was never never conducive to preservation of the music. So that's the first first uh, problem that you have to find the originals first. Like the it's it's already kind of a, a legend now that the 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 huge. Um, 
repertoire from Chiquitos in Bolivia and the missions was found in a box that said toilet paper and, and, and the, it was music. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff happened all the time and most of the music never was found. So that's one. But then you have to have the time to spend and the money to sit for hours and transcribe it because you can't read it. So that's another problem that sometimes you can't. I remember that one of the first... Um, expeditions that was sent to the Bolivian archive, you know, it was fortunately it was found and it's well preserved now, but there was only in the past 30 years before that, it, you know, all, a lot of things were lost. But then there was like a contingent of four or five Argentinian musicologists that went there. And you, you can't have that, you know, there's, there's, that's a perfect topic for, for a dissertation. And, and, you know, I'm speaking about Argentina and this thing in particular is what I know the, m most closely. Um, there are not so many doctoral students that would have the need. You know, that's a perfect dissertation topic, but there's no doctoral students because there's no doctorate in musicology that many. You know, it's, it's that kind of so. Then there's that, and then it's getting it out. And uh, before the internet and all the the PDF, the almighty PDF, you had to print all these things, which is expensive. And there's not a lot of culture of buying music in in those countries. You know, you copy. And it's so photocopying is everywhere, and that's that's a problem that uh, that you know because it's like there's nothing here. You can't find it. Then you don't have time or money to transcribe it. Then you can't make money off it because nobody's going to buy it more than one copy. Then it makes. Then when it's when you finally have it printed or something, then getting in touch with the, with the, <laughs> with the publishers is a, is a is a problem as well. <laughs> you you can call them and they can do it. Uh, they don't have it. It's out of print. They, you know, it's it's not it's not an easy situation. Yeah. It's uh, there are obstacles in, at every step of yeah. the of the process. Yeah. Now, do you find that when people come to the programs that you host um, with the America Society, do you find that people are there because? They already are familiar with some of these artists or with um, the genres, or do you find that they are, um, you know, sort of s curious and seeking mm -hmm. it out because they're interested in the culture, and then they sort of are, are awakened to this wonderful world of, of the music and culture? I think we have, you know, for the you know the comments that I get afterwards and things. I think we have half and half. We have like mm -hmm. a half of the audience that knows us, and mm -hmm. they come to every program we put we put together, and they know what we do, and um, Another part, it maybe it's not half, but yeah, another part is people that are related, you know, are people that are related to the music in some form. So we have a singer from Curaçao, we have a part, maybe a third of the audience is from Curaçao or from Aruba, you know. So, and uh, the same thing when we had the, the, the Guatemalan event, uh, the Guatemalan concert. So we had our usual uh, half of our people and then another fourth or third were people that related, you know, either Guatemalan so that they knew about it. So we, it's, a, it's a mixture of people who, who uh, know about it already and want to see it again because, you know, even if you know about it, you don't hear it very often because it doesn't, it doesn't get programmed anyway. So even if you know about it, it's good to hear it live. And then the other, the other group of people are interested in what, in, in what we do. They know that they're going to find something uh, interesting. One of the things that people uh, say about Baroque music a lot, specifically, is that it's it's very similar similar to jazz mm -hmm. because of um, instrumentation. Sometimes mix of instrumentation. It's not necessarily a set thing. Um, there might be a little bit more improvisation. Um, and I know that sometimes some of the recordings of Latin American Baroque music that I have and use on Sunday Baroque and and have had the opportunity to hear will incorporate things that definitely give it away. 
as not being, you know, Bach, Vivaldi, Handel. Like a drum. Like a drum boom, or castanets boom. or, yeah, you know, yeah. or some some inflection, some musical inflections. I, I can't necessarily even describe them at all. Bet you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that, you know, the, all the... the, the I think in the percussion world, you know, in the percussion sound, you get you get castanets, you right. get. But then, if you listen, I remember there's the, I remember the first track of the new. I don't know if it's the new one, but the the Esperian twenty, Colombina, the Cancino de la Colombina, the dun 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 dun. dun. It ends. It it ends with a. So it has boom, boom, boom. So <laughs> I think it, it might have changed with times too, because that's a recent recording by mm -hmm. by Saval. So I I think that the previous one. I, I don't know if he did a Colombina before that, but. Uh, but the Palacio that he did, for example, years ago, 20 years ago, doesn't have that percussion. And mm -hmm. I think that there's something that, that they're loosening up, the, the ensembles themselves, I think perhaps regardless of the, of the, even though this is Spanish anyway, but regardless of the, of the repertoire, they're loosening up and they say, oh, yeah, let's put some, some, some percussion because it's, it's never written. So maybe it yeah. kind of falls into the same. Uh, there's this amazing uh, uh, drum groove in, in one of the tracks in, this, in, that, in that recording that, it's always like dum scapum 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 scapum, and they sing on top of that the whatever uh, Colombina song. But so what I would say then is perhaps it's part of the, the same the same um, freedom that that ensembles themselves have give, are are giving themselves. We don't know, but for what we read, there were drums here. So let's figure out a way. Let's figure out what they might have done. Which I think it's a beautiful thing to do. It's like you know we are musicians. They were musicians as well. Right. So we might come up with things that are similar because we're doing the same thing, even though it's four, five hundred years later. Right. And then we'll do the drumming, specifically towards uh, music from Latin America. Um, you know, there's I have to. Well, I don't know if we uh, will say this, but uh, you know, a color cells. You know, local color cells is having something that that um, that other recordings won't don't have. Okay. Um, it will add a, a touch, you know, yeah. to your. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes that there's that too. <laughs> well, you know, actually, you you raise a good question. That that was my next question: is do you think that the these sort of um, almost cliche kinds of things have been added on? And uh, I probably shouldn't use the word gratuitously, mm -hmm. but to done in a way that um, that modern musicians might think, oh, well, this sort of makes it sound cool and modern. Or do you think that there is a possibility that those were in some ways some authentic kinds of, of well, approaches? Well, I think, I think there is some some chance because, you know, people talk about those things, mm -hmm. about, about the drums. And uh, I'll try to remember the inventories taken at the missions when they were closed, you know, because the missions were, you know, the Jesuits were expelled from Spain and all its possessions in 1767. Very hastily, and one of the things that survived from from all from that that traumatic uh, thing are the, the inventories of what the churches had, the missions had, and you know I'm taking that as, as an example. I'm trying to think if in any of those inventories that I've read, I saw drums, <laughs> but I you know I see flutes and all sorts of different kind of flutes and violins and harps and organs, but I can't remember having seen that the drums. And then I'm thinking, if they were so careful in the inventories to write every single, like, 20 flutes and 21, whatever, why wouldn't have... Mm, so I'm not sure, then, going mm -hmm. back to my answer. I, <laughs> I'm not so sure. Uh -huh. I'm not sure. There are some instances in which that music was, uh, you know, processional and things like that, where one can assume, I think, more uh, uh, safely that, that there was some sort of percussion involved. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I'm remembering the, now um, a version of Hanak Pachap, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the, the first... Well, the first polyphonic piece published, in, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's classic title. It's the first uh, polyphonic piece published in, in, in the continent in, in Cusco, uh, 1607 or something like that. Um, I remember one, one recording now that has boom, 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 boom. You know, we don't sounds know like that it wasn't there. Music. Yeah, I mean, of course, it sounds like, because, you know, it, yeah, it's Cusco, come on, but it was a, it was a huge cathedral. I, I'm yeah. not sure if... But then again, I haven't read all the documents. But in you know, in the first, uh, so maybe I'll research that for the next one because you know it's like where. But it's it's the same discussion with our music anywhere at any time. Like right, yeah, it's how much you know how much of a how much freedom from what from what's printed you you take and and what your sources are for doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say then that when it comes to Latin American repertoire, sometimes there is a you know let's there's a. a a tendency that you know, I don't know, that's, or a temptation of uh, exoticizing it. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yes, it's uh, right. it's uh, and what I think about that, it's okay, yeah, exotic, it's fine. You know, it's a cathedral. It's like you know, it's a huge cathedral. It doesn't matter where it was, in a sense. You know, <laughs> right, right. you know, they were still fighting against that, and you know, so it's one of the things that I think it's it's funny about. You know, it's fun. It's nice about about my work is. Kind of pointing out what's different, but also pointing out what's not so different. You know, Mexico is and has been the largest city in the Western Hemisphere for 200 years. So, you know, it's it's not Europe, but it's not Mars. Yeah. You know, it's it's something in between. And so some things that that were valid on one side of the ocean are still valid on this side. And it's it's not just because it's a way that we can just, you know, assume that everything was whatever else we think it is. Right, <laughs> right. So let's go to that place sort of closer to Mars, maybe, which yeah. would be those missions. Right. Yeah, those are closer to Mars. Very, you know, very remote. What was the role of music in those missions? Well, it was, it was an amazing, it was, that's such, such an incredible topic. It's um, when we speak of Jesuits, of missions, we speak of the Jesuits mainly uh, in a lot of South America. And the there was a you know they were also in Mexico and in Canada, but the I think the main the, the case study for the missions is the missions what was called then the, the province of Paraguay, which is in the southern part of South America. It includes the lowlands of Bolivia, and Argentina, uh, and Brazil. You know the southern part of Brazil and Paraguay. So which the kind of the Chaco plains. You know when you go down the Andes and you get in that that huge region, immense. And that, in turn, had two divisions. Had the, the western side, which is nowadays in Bolivia, which is Chiquitos and Moxos, uh, which, you know, Chiquitos has been, it's kind of the, 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 the star of the, of the repertoire. And then the east side, the Guarani missions, you know, named after the Guarani, who are the people who, the, the indigenous people who live there and who still do, uh, in Brazil and Argentina. Um, so those were kind of the two main 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 spaces and the missions lasted for you know since the beginning of the 17th century until the mid mid uh, 18th century so about 150 years depending on on the time it was never you know you, you saw the movie um, um it was uh, you know it was never a peaceful i mean nothing was peaceful of course but then music in, in that i think it occupied it, it had a two two sides one it was that it was a it's an incredibly amazingly impossibly effective tool of publicity for the missions you know and for the success of what they were doing and perhaps there was some truth to it 
And, you know, because all the references that you see from, from the very beginning until years after the missions were gone is that the music that they were able, you know, the, the, the natives were able to apprehend music and to master instruments with magical speed. You know, like the the fathers would be there the next year they had a choir and they were like, I cannot tell you, brother, when they wrote to each other how fast they learned to do these things. And it's amazing. I don't. If you read the documents, it looks like you know it's it's a miracle. You know the way well, of course that's the way they put it, but it's uh, it, it's it's a miraculous way of, of communication. The, the speed with which they learn how to sing and play instruments and build them. So in one sense, and then of course when they took that to the cities, you know to Buenos Aires, to Asunción, to show because you know the Jesuits, you have to remember, they were fighting their own political uh, uh, battles with the with the crown, with the Spanish crown, which they eventually lost. So you know they were kind of pushed in, in all different directions. But when they went to the city to see the Viceroy and show them, hey, look, we're doing all these great things, they had a choir. They, you know, they, they, they brought a choir and orchestra. So it was, it was very powerful in, in that sense. And also, in a more day-to-day uh, -day way, music was very, very present in the daily life. You know, they would wake up to bells, um, do, you know, sing in the morning, go to work, come back from work in the fields, have another service, another mass and sing. So music was was kind of a, 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 a timekeeper of, of the day. You know, it was the day was divided by by different services and of course everything within the liturgy, but by by different musical pieces. So it was kind of in a way a way of keeping order and uh, domination in, in, within the, the mission. If you want, so it had the, this kind of the out, outward face of the success of the work they were doing and the internal keeping of the, of the pace. But then at the same time, it's wonderful music. You know, you can, when, I mean, it happens always, I think, when, especially when we talk about, the, about the, the Americas, you know, what happened to the indigenous people, it's, you know, it's reprehensible in many ways, you know, the, the, the extermination and the killing. So it's kind of hard to, to take that because, but then you think uh, the world kind of works like that, and, you know, but it, unfortunately, and at least we got the music. That's kind of one way. At least we got wonderful music out of this out of this uh, clash. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this can be phrased right, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. Was this a, was the music? Do you think in some way um, an example of that expression of music being a universal language? Do you think that that was a, a common meeting place? I would think that there would have been at least to some extent a verbal language barrier. Yeah, I you know I don't believe much in the universal thing, but I think somehow it worked in that way. It's a, yeah, of course they couldn't talk to each other for at least at the beginning, and um, and for a long time, you know, one one might wonder what kind of communication they had. You know, what would usually happen in the case of the missions? They would the the missionaries would pick, of course, you know, because the people that that they would incorporate into the missions were not. You were not unified themselves. You know, they would speak 40, 50 languages in the same region. Mm -hmm. So what, what the priests would do is they would pick one group, the one that seemed to be the majority, and turn that into the official language of the missions. So that's why in Chiquitos, in Chiquitania, everybody spoke Chiquitano. But there were several other languages that so, and with that, they kind of created kind of a lingua franca for the region or the Guarani in the eastern region. But there were all other groups that didn't speak that language. So one can wonder what kind of communication they effectively had, but but in a way it, it seems like uh, in in music uh, they they communicated in a way. I, I don't know. Um, well, if I hand you a drum and I hand someone else a flute right. and uh, someone else has a violin and I show you what I want yeah, you to play right, and yeah. show you how to run the and then you do it and then, then that's yeah. It. 
And then we both do it together. Yeah, it's sort yeah, of Suzuki I, training. Yeah, I think, well, <laughs> yeah, I think it, it might have, because everybody says how wonderful they were. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you read all the chronicles from people that were either visiting the missions or that they saw the, the orchestras and the choirs in the cities, and they would say, they're amazing. You know, they play better than any, any, any cathedral group in Europe. And even years later, there was this, uh, there's some travelers that visited the, the Chiquitos region in, in Bolivia in the 1850s, you know, 100 years after the missions were closed. And they say, and they have these orchestras that are amazing, and they still, they still have them. Mm-hmm. So something was there. I, you know, I'm personally, I, I'm not so sure about kind of this essentialist uh, things, but some, but something happened. It's, it's really, and we have this amazing repertoire that, on, on you know, on, on the, it's as a side note, we have this beautiful music, you know, uh, besides of what they did with it, as what, what they, what it meant for them, uh, living together. It's wonderful music. So we take the music now and we play it and sing it. It's beautiful. So it's. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing. There's there's okay. something that 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 happened, and which I think it's totally different. As you said, this is close to Mars because you know in the, in the cathedrals that was more like uh, the normal, like any any job in any in any cathedral, you know, and all the political intrigues and and the you know bribing to get the job and all those things. You know, they would complain and file lawsuits against each other, write me nicer music. You know, like any any like any church job would have been <laughs> or you know or if you go to operas it was you know selling the tickets so in in the cities i think it was more of a of what we're used to as a as a western uh kind of conducting the business of music mm-hmm. but in the in the missions it was uh it was a different place it was so self-contained so isolated that kind of uh, new things came about mm-hmm. maybe, maybe. well so let me play devil's advocate for just a moment here and ask you um if in so many ways, and I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing very roughly here, but go with me here. <laughs> if in many ways a lot of the, the lives and the music and the politics of, of these church musicians was, was similar, whether you were talking about Mexico City or wherever else, mm-hmm. Germany, you know, Leipzig, <laughs> um, why do we need to know about this? Why, why is this music different? What is distinguishing, what, what, is, what distinguishes this music and makes it worthy of our attention? Well, it's wonderful music. Mm-hmm. And well, how, is it, how is it different, though? How is it, why is it not just more of the same? How does it stand out on its own? On its own? Well, in a way, it is more of the same. And, in, well, it's... It's like when you find a composer that you didn't know of. Why, why mm-hmm. do you need uh, books to Hude if you can listen to Bach? Because it's wonderful anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Sumaya now. You know, this which we need. We need his music because because it's his music because mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's you can. The good thing about music, I think, is you can keep piling up. You know, the fact that you have Beethoven doesn't mean that you don't need Berlioz anymore. And then when you have Berlioz and Beethoven, you still need Schubert. And then when you have those three, you still need. Uh, Feldman, and when you have those four, you still need Sumaya. So I think it, it goes like you know it, it doesn't. Um, it, I, I don't see. I don't think. I don't think that it needs justification beyond the music itself, mm-hmm. the, the the beauty and the pleasure we take from, from we get from listening to the music. Mm-hmm. I think. And then within that, we can say okay, well, the same way we recognize, um, you know, a piece that it's this you know this is Stockhausen and not uh, not Boulez. You know, if you if you if you have, you know, if you train your ear well enough, you you might be able to tell one thing from the other. Or this is Arkadelt and not, uh, uh, sorry, Rode. You know, you, you can tell one from one from the other. It's the same thing you can do with uh, this is music from from Puebla and or from Oaxaca and not from Valencia. But that's um, 
in a way, perhaps it's secondary. You know, we need it because it's wonderful. And mm -hmm. if it's different, okay, that's something else to add to our enjoyment. Well, one thing that I, I was thinking that it, there's another thing because you know we've been talking about music, but there's mm -hmm. also musicians yeah. from you know there's there's also great musicians that that play early music. Mm -hmm. anyway. You know, one of the, one of the recordings that 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 you have, one of the people we presented in the past few years was uh, Antonio Meneses, which is you know the cellist of the Bozar Trio, which apparently they're breaking up. But you know he's Brazilian, but uh, so that's why we we presented him. But he played Bach, he played the cello suites, which his recording, which came out. Uh, what is it? Two or three? Well, it's two thousand four, I think, or five. And if you've heard it, I love it. It's it, I think it's a wonderful version. So and there's a lot of musicians like that, mm -hmm. uh, either soloists or people. You know, in his case, he's kind of um, well. The the suites are such a monumental thing that being a cellist, you have to play them. But uh, he's 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 a specialist in the romantic repertoire. You know, he plays all the other things. But there's other there's a lot of uh, musicians that that do. Um, that they're dedicating themselves to to different forms of early music mm -hmm. from from the hemisphere. Who who do you think are, yes, are, who are some of the people that are really doing it well? Um, well, one group that you know it's even earlier than Baroque, as you know, but there's a group in Italy called Malapunica, which uh, is directed by an Argentinian musician called Pedro Memelsorf. They do Ars Antiqua, you know, Ars Nova, you know, Subtilis and Subtilior. That's their, their main focus. But, you know, they do, and, and it comes with a lot of research in the libraries that are quite different. So, you know, they prepare their own editions. And they, well, they, they, don't even, they don't need editions. They play from, from the originals, but they, you know, they do a lot of research in that, in that sense. What do you hope, you know, when someone comes to these programs, what do you hope they leave with it, the experience that they have there, and what do they take away from your performances? Well, the first thing that I want is, you know, great music, that they're happy with the, with the quality of the music. So that that's the first thing, and then, that, listening to that kind of gave them a, an idea of of the of how. Of how varied things are, you know, the novelty also you know, novelty in the sense that wow, this was there and I I never heard of that. So that discovery and also, but also the quality. I I really think that it should be as good as one can. So it almost sounds like you hope you know people will look at the music and these musicians really kind of through a different lens. You're looking at a lot of the same things, but you're coloring it with a little bit of a different um, perspective, maybe different context, different kind of um, background, knowledge, experience. Yes, and we do that also, you know, we we often do our, our, our concerts have some sort of conversation or lecture, or depending on what what the topic is and, uh, you know, what, what's appropriate for that for that moment. For example, we we had this, um, we, we performed for the first time in many, many years a piece by Ignacio Jerusalem, this uh, uh, composer in Mexico that we've been talking about. You know the the his score that it was found by a Mexican musicologist in a couple of archives. She put it together. She made an, a performing edition, and then she wrote an introductory lecture for. You know she was going to come. She in the end she couldn't come, so I I read it, and it was like a twenty minute uh, lecture on the on the piece on the composer, and you know we showed some some facsimiles and some photos here and there, and then we played the piece. So, which, you know, it was perfect because the piece was only one. It lasted for 15, 20 minutes, so we had half and half. So depending on what it is, and if we have a, a different kind of musician that, you know, wants, that ha is particularly eloquent in their speaking, then we'll have a little interview. We had one a couple of weeks ago. We, we had a Q&A with a, with a folk musician from Argentina. 
so the context is good. Uh, you know, we try to give that in, in and. It depends, you know. It depends on, on the circumstances. Some, sometimes it's it's more applicable. Than, you know, I don't want to force either. To you, know, you will have a lecture before <laughs> you listen to this music because, as I said, you know, it doesn't matter what you know. It matters if you enjoy it. That's. But then, if you know more, then maybe you'll enjoy it more. So, if it fits, then we'll do it. We have in a couple of weeks coming a group also from Argentina because that's what we're doing in the fall. That has that does this blend of electronica. You know, like techno electronica with with indigenous music. They spent some time, uh, a couple of years actually, studying the music from. You know, they're from a part of Argentina in the north, so they they kind of got in touch with their uh, local indigenous groups that were living nearby, and they learned their music, their their stories, and then they put it together. So for that, we'll have a little introductory uh, talk about it because it's also nice. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes the music is nice, and also the process by which you get to that is nice. So that's that's kind of the spirit. Then we have a new music concert in December. This is going to play. Yeah, just hmm. all new pieces. Sometimes, you know, we'll have a couple of composers there, but I think we'll just go straight ahead for a, for a concert. <laughs> it's, it's a, it depends on, <laughs> on the music, basically. Well, I want to thank you very much. Well, thank you.